you guys catch the theme in that worship set? If you didn't, that's okay. It'll, it'll come out. Worship team, thank you for leading us this morning. Um, Beth, thank you for putting cool pictures behind the slides. That was cool. I don't know if you guys, other people noticed it, but that's, uh, that's pretty neat when we can worship orally and visually and all sorts of ways. Turn with me to the prophet Haggai, please. And if you're wondering where that one is, look for the prophet Haggai. And if you can't find either, use your table of contents. I'm going to read the entire prophecy this morning, since it's only two chapters. I want to make sure that as we hear from the word of the Lord later, that you will hear it in context. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which um, I know Jerry uses, but there's not too many others that use. So follow along in your Bible and see the differences. Um, I'll mention verse numbers along the way in case you get lost. Haggai, the prophet. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Verse 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withheld the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius' reign. Chapter 2. Then, on October 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How, in comparison, does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. 
For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Verse 10. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Ask the priests this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priests replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially, ceremonially, if they become unclean, by teaching a dead person, or excuse me, teaching, wow, By touching a dead person, and then they touch any of these foods, will the food become defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Then Haggai responded, this is how it is with the people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do, everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Look at what was happening to you before you you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. You hoped for a 20-bushel crop. You harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of December. This day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now. While the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain or your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. Verse 20. On that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. That is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let us listen with ears to hear and hearts to understand. Let's pray. God, as we open up your written story to us, as we look at this prophet and wonder, what in the world could this mean? How does this apply to us? What were you saying and why? God, I ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. I ask that what is said would point to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've told you guys many times that when I start preparing for a Sunday morning, I always ask God this. I say, what is it, God, you want First Church to hear from this passage this coming week? What is it you want to teach us? Maybe it comes from context, which is always key. Maybe it comes from the main themes. Maybe, God, maybe it's just something you want us to apply. But what is it you want us to learn? This past week, God answered in a way that I didn't want to hear. He said, James, I'm going to teach you something from this passage. And I want you to be willing to share that with the people. This isn't going to be about us, James. This is going to be about you. You're going to have to open your heart a bit. You're going to have to risk. You're going to be a little vulnerable. And that's the way we're going to go. Oh, come on, Lord. 
So this morning, know that this is kind of a window into how I read Haggai this past week. The lens through which I see this passage. As Tim mentioned, this is my last sermon before I go on sabbatical. If I'm completely honest with you, I have been looking forward to this Sunday for a long time. Here's why. I'm spiritually tired. And that may not even be a strong enough word. I'm spiritually exhausted. Can a pastor even say that? I mean, I'm called to lead you guys spiritually. And yet, I don't even know if there's many fumes left to be running on. It was 51 weeks ago. I was in Denver for the annual conference for Leadership Summit. Several of you were there. Mike, I think you and Debbie were there last year. I know Elena was there. Abby was there. Uh, We had finished an evening session. And it was a good session, a powerful session. And we were driving back in the rental car. I was there. Abby was there. Elena was sitting in the back. And I don't know if it was the evening session or what, but I looked at Elena and said, Elena, you're the first person on leadership I'm going to tell this to, but I'm tired. I'm wiped out, and I need a break. I need a sabbatical. That was a year ago. I came back and shared that with the cabinet. I shared that with the board. We went through the process. There was a lot of prayer that was involved. And over the last year or so, and specifically that week while I was down in Denver, I spent time reflecting on what, at that time, the previous eight and a half years had held for me at First Church. And there were things I thought of that just made my heart smile. Because in the eight and a half years prior, there had been people that had come to the Lord. There had been many that were baptized. There were people who were growing in faith. We had had some fantastic times, and I thank God for that. Very much so. But as I reflected, I also realized there had been some hard times in the eight and a half years at that point that I'd been there. We've had some people leave the church, and that's never easy. There was five years where I was in seminary. I'm not complaining. Bless you for letting me do that, for helping me do that. But it was taxing on my family and I. There were deaths in the body, illnesses in the body, other parts of the pastor's job that I can't leave at the office when I go home at night that just began to take a toll on me. I want you to hear something first, church, and pass this on to those that are not here. I think we are in a healthier place spiritually than we have been in years. And I am excited for what God is doing in this body. I really am. There's a cohesiveness here. There's a, a togetherness as to, as to we all know where we're going and how we're getting there. We're excited to be going in that direction. I personally am enthusiastic and eager to keep being a part of it, to keep leading, to keep shepherding, to keep coming alongside you. And hear me on this, I look forward to October to coming back and to spending another long season of pastoring here at First Church. Please don't pity my spiritual fatigue. Don't feel sorry for it. You talk to any pastor who's been at any church, any sort of length of time, especially longer times, Pastor Michael, I'm sure you felt this, and there becomes a spiritual fatigue. So it's not your fault. It's the nature of the job. So hear me, say this. First church, we're in a good, good spot. I'm still tired. I'm still fatigued. Over the last year, God has sustained me. God has continued to give direction for messages. He's continued to give passion and vision and and mission for, for where we're going as a church. But in all of this, and here's the window into my head, okay? Here's the window into the way I think. I've began to wonder, especially this last year, have I tried to do it on my own? Have I tried to to continue leading out of my own strength when I should have been leading out of Christ's strength? If you go up to my office, you see an old school oxen yoke that's got two places for oxen. It's a reminder for me. I need that reminder daily that, James, this isn't about you pulling the load. This is about you putting your head in Christ's yoke and letting him pull. 
But I have wondered, am I trying to do it on my own? Then I get into Haggai chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. The prophet said, when you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the rind press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Especially in this last year when I've been tired, which the leadership knows. Has there been times when God has reminded me that leading is his job? Yeah. As he reminded me, James, there's that yoke again, stick your head in it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and in those seasons, I've, I've run back to him and said, okay, okay, you lead, you lead. But it's just too easy for me to go back to, all right, just work a little bit harder, set another goal, push a little bit more. So as I read Haggai this past week, several times, that passage, verse 16 to 17 in chapter 2, rose to the top. But so did an earlier passage in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Again, you're hearing inside my head. Because hear this first, church. I'm not saying we haven't had good things going on here. What I'm admitting to you is I'm a consummate pusher. I'm a consummate goal setter. And personally, I wrestle with whether or not we're harvesting a lot or a little. I ask the question, are we hungry and being fully fed? Are we thirsty and being fully quenched? As a goal-driven person, I've wondered if the hard things that we've gone through have been my fault. I've wondered if seasons of dry spells in my life have resulted in challenging times for us as a church. This is what goes on inside my head. Over the last couple of months, I've reflected on my years prior to this past year, which has been tiring. And there's been some seasons where it seems like God is a lot closer than he is now. It's funny because chapter 2, verse 3, God says, Does anyone remember this house, this temple, and its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Oh, I resonated with that verse. You know, I thought back to my time as a freshman in college where every morning I would wake up just excited. God, what are you going to do today? What are you going to share? What are you going to reveal? I couldn't wait to see what opportunities God would lay before me. And I've thought back to even the hard times here at First Church and, and how close I was to God during those times where you know, I could tangibly taste, touch, smell. I could feel God's presence in a real way. I mean, I remember saying, God, if this is how close I can get to you in a storm, keep me in a storm. That's a terrifying prayer to pray, but it was one where there was such an intimacy with the Father. I thought back to some times of spiritual highs while at George Fox in seminary, you know, sitting in the, the, the George Fox campus or the, the, the chapel, and there just being some just uh, amazing awareness of God's presence. As I thought of those times, I thought, man, those were good. And compared to this last year with how close or lack of how close I felt to God, those times seem momentous. Chapter 2, verse 3 was a little bit too real to me. Then I read something like chapter 1, verse 9. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You're all busy building your fine houses. It's because of you that the harvests or that the heavens withheld the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. As I read that verse, 
Again, you're hearing this through my lens. As a questioner, I couldn't help but wonder, man, had I spent more time in prayer, more time weeping, wailing, more time fasting, more time in leadership development, more time in, I could fill in the blank with 20 different things. Have you guys ever felt any of these feelings? You ever had any of these types of questions? You ever struggled with a spiritual fatigue or an exhaustion? I know that we live in a Facebook type of world, okay, where only the best pictures get posted, only the most inspirational quotes get said, only the look at my life, isn't it wonderful things make online. It's not too often you see, man, life is hard right now. I don't feel God. I feel disconnected from friends, family. I feel alone. You guys ever just feel done? I'm sharing this this morning from the lens through which I read the prophet Haggai. The lens of spiritual fatigue and the fact that this would be my last sermon before October 4th. Here's the beauty of God and His Word. His Word is alive and active And he didn't let me read passages like that and then just leave me to wallow. He didn't just leave me with empty, woe is me type questions and doubts. Instead, God summoned me. He summoned me. Chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills. Bring down your timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Go up into the hills, bring down the timber and rebuild my house. I shared a little earlier about what sabbatical would look like, where we're going. There's going to be a few places that have hills that we'll go to. I mean, we'll finish in Lake Tahoe, which is 6,000 feet. God wasn't calling me to those literal hills. He was summoning me to meet with him in an intimate, soul-filling, personal way as a family. This is time with the Father. He's saying, come. It was a summons to an intimacy with a God that maybe I haven't had in a while. Go up into the hills. When Moses got the Ten Commandments, where did he go? When God wanted to meet with him face to face, where did God say, come here, Moses? Up the mountain, right? Exodus 19, verse 3, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before the Lord. Exodus chapter 24, verse 12 and following, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I'll give you the tablets of stone on which I've inscribed the instructions and commands so that you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistants set out and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here, wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites on the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. I'm not comparing myself to Moses by any means. But I believe that God is summoning me to meet with him. To an intimacy with him again. When Jesus was exhausted. After he had learned of his cousin John the Baptist's beheading. Before he even had time to grieve, he had fed 5,000 men plus their wives and kids. He was tired. Where did he go? Up in the hills. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. After sending them home, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. This summon in Haggai verse one, or chapter 1, verse 8, as I read through my lens, this is God saying, it's time to come. Be intentional. Be purposeful. Rest. 
renew. Let's share some intimacy together. James, come up to the mountain and meet me. Can I be honest with you again? A summons like this scares me. It scares me. Yeah, I'm eager to see what happens, but I'm apprehensive also. What will God lay before me? When I don't have my normal routine, what will he show me? What will he reveal about, my, uh, about myself? What will he reveal about himself? I'm going to obey the summons. I've got to obey it based on what the Israelites did in our text today. Chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they had heard the words of the prophet whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. They obeyed even though they were afraid. And look at what God does immediately after. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. God promised his presence. He promised his presence, and that wasn't the only time he did this in this short prophecy. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, God says, But now look, says the Lord, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised you when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. These verses were an encouragement to me. A reminder that God's Spirit is with me. God's presence is with me. I needed to hear that. Because there's been times this last year where I questioned God's presence. Where I questioned the validity of God. So for Him to say, be strong, I'm there. I needed that. I don't know if you guys have ever asked questions like that. You ever had doubts like that? You ever felt a summons from God? Have you ever been fearful or scared to answer that summons because you didn't know what was going to take place, yet God kept calling and you kept knowing, I need to respond. I know that what my family is getting these next three months is a gift from you guys, and I thank you greatly. Because unless you live in or you live and work in the academic realm, A three-month sabbatical away from your normal job is unheard of. So we recognize this as a gift, and we thank you for it. And I recognize that if you're hearing God's summons to to come and, and find a way to be intimate with him again, I recognize you don't have three months to figure that out, so I don't envy the challenge you have. But I encourage you, if he's summoning, oh, goodness, respond. And I look forward when I come back to hearing how you've responded and even walking with you in that. But I want to tell you, don't wait until October to respond. And don't wait because there's two places in the prophet Haggai where God says, I've got things for you. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Remember it says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, people still left in the land. Now get to work, for I am with you. Verse 8 of chapter 1, the summons, now go up into the hills. It wasn't go up into the hills and sit and don't do anything. It was go up into the hills, get timber, so that you can come back down and rebuild the house. James, yes, I'm summoning you up to an intimacy with the Father, but I'm summoning you to equip you to come back down and continue rebuilding the house. As much as verse 8 has been a summons to go away, it's also been a summons to come back and to continue doing God's work in the place where God meets humanity, which is in you and it's in me. I'm excited for July 3rd when we drive away. 
But I'm excited for September 28th when I walk through those doors. It's a Monday, so you guys won't be here. Um, And I go up into my office and I resume. I'm excited to hear what God does in and through this church for these next three months. How he moves you, how he grows you, how he produces fruit in your life. Now, you may think this is just James being optimistic because that's James's natural bent. Well, it's also found in Haggai. Chapter 2, verse 19. God says, I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You've not harvested your grain, and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops, but from this day onward, I will bless you. God will bless you. God will bless us. When we obey his summons, he turns it into blessing. Hear me on this. We don't know what that blessing looks like. Okay, it's not a health and wealth. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you if you obey God's rules, you're always going to be healthy and you're going to be very rich. I'm not going to tell you that, okay? That's not the blessings that God is guaranteeing. In fact, I think he says what blessings he has in here. And it's chapter six verses, or excuse me, chapter two, verses six to nine. He says, For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver's mine, the gold's mine. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So where's the blessing in that? I see three of them. Okay? First, there's a promise of God's glory. I will bring glory to this place. I would say that's as individuals and also to us as a church. That's verse 7. Second, there's a promise of God's glory being greater than it was before. Verse 9, the end of it or the beginning of it. It says the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. We've seen great things as individuals and as a church. Now start to imagine what else God could do. Third, there's a promise of peace. Verse 9. And in this, as I read it, I thought of what the prophets called Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So God summons us. God wants to bless us with Jesus. God has already blessed us with Jesus. And in doing so, his glory is among us. His presence is among us. And it's greater than anything we knew before we knew Christ. I want this Prince of Peace. I want this Jesus. And over the next three months, I hope to fall in love with Jesus all over again as an individual Christian, not as a Christian leading a group of people. I hope to fall in love with Jesus again, not as a professional Christian, but as a child of the King. I'm fairly confident that as as I obey the summons, that God will reciprocate, and he'll bless me with Christ's presence. And I'm confident that as he does this, he'll call me right back down the mountain. As I was prepping last night and again this morning and all throughout last week, I I realized, you know, it's pretty evident, James, that this is the message meant for James this morning. So I know what I'm taking home. I don't know what you guys are taking home. Maybe you've realized that you're at a place where you're tired too. And God is summoning you to a place of intimacy to himself. Maybe you've realized, I'm a little scared to to go and meet with him, but I think we're supposed to do that. Maybe you've realized, okay, pastor can get tired, so can I. We can have questions. You can wrestle. And in those feelings, God is still present. God is still saying, be strong. God is still saying, you've got Jesus. I don't know what you guys will take away from this morning. 
Please don't leave thinking I think First Church is in a bad place or I think First Church made me tired, okay? Don't, don't leave thinking I'm in a bad place, okay? Leave, if nothing else, thinking, wow, James has kind of got some interesting issues going on inside his head. And I'm maybe glad he shared it with us this morning. Or maybe you wish I hadn't. I want to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you all this morning, if he so chooses. We're going to listen to some music that's different than that ringtone. <laughs> hey, you're good, Don. It happens. This is like twice today. It's not a problem. <laughs> We're going to listen to one of the classic Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. Uh, the Mountain is what it's called. This will just be about three and a half minutes, four minutes of time of reflection for you to let what was shared this morning settle. After that, I'm going to pray. In fact, I'll pray before that, and then I'll pray again after it. And then we're going to take communion together. I'd like the honor of of serving you guys. And uh, I'll serve the worship team first. And then while you're coming to the front, we'll sing two more songs. So that's that's how we're going to finish. finish. Let me pray. And then... uh, I don't know if you you got it queued up. We're going to see if it works. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your call to me this morning. I thank you that you allow me to question, to doubt, to be tired. I thank you that even in all of that, you're still saying, James, come here. Come up to the mountain. Spend some intimate time of fellowship with me. Lord, I don't know what it is you want to share with the rest of this church this morning, but I pray as we sit and reflect, if there are things that you want individuals to hear, that you'll say it to them. I pray this would truly be a time where we can be with you, even if it's just three and a half, four minutes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to build a house up on this mountain Way up high where the peaceful waters flow To quench my thirsty soul Up on the mountain I can see for miles up on this mountain Troubles seem so small they almost disappear Lord I love you up on the mountain My faith is strengthened by all that I see You make it easy for on the mountain Oh, up on the mountain I would love to live up on this mountain Keep the pain of living life so far away But I know I can't stay on the mountain I said I don't look wherever you lead for where you are is where I most want to be and I can tell we're headed for the valley yes, we my faith is strengthened my Carry it to the world far 
cherish these times up on the mountain But I can't leave this place because I know Someday you'll take me home to live forever up on the mountain recognize that you have called us to an intimacy with you. You have called us to be close to you. And I recognize that though each of us would love to continue to live in a mountaintop experience, so often the way you work is you bring us up to fill us so that we can go back down and be the hands and feet of Christ to others. Lord, I pray that what we've heard this morning, whatever that may be, we would put to good use. And I pray this in Jesus' name. When the Apostle Paul was talking about instructions for public worship and order at the Lord's Supper, he said, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. And oftentimes when we share communion together, we talk about it nourishing us, and that's my prayer this morning, that if we're tired, if we're fatigued, that this morning would be nourishing. I want to ask the worship team to come forward, take communion first, and then as they play, you guys can come forward while you are ready, and uh, I'll serve you. Of you, 
it brings in the promise of you is rest for the weary soul releasing all that is mine I reach for you and I rest in the shelter of your love and I rest in the wiser of your grace and I rest in the shelter of your love and I rest in the wiser of you take all the old and you make it new everything I give to you you're the hope that can pull me the shelter of your love and I rest in the wonder of your grace and I rest in the shelter of your love and I rest in the wonder of you I rest in the shelter of your and I rest in the wonder of your grace And I rest in the shelter of your love And I rest in the wonder of you Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. Cause I will fear no evil For my God is with me And if my God is with me Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go every high and every low. Oh no, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. And I can see a light that is coming. For the heart that holds on A glorious night beyond our compare And there will be an end to these troubles But until that day comes We'll live to know you're here on the earth And I will fear no my God is with me, and if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear, whom then shall I fear, no, no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm, you never let go every high and every low. Oh, no, you never let go. Lord, 
Lord, you never let go of me. Yes, I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. And there will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise you. So we sing, oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go in every high and every low. No, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. Oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. You never let go in every high and every though. No, you never let go, Lord. You never let go of me, Lord. You never let go of me, Lord. You never let go of me. May God bless you and protect you. May He smile upon you and be gracious to you. May He show you His favor and give you His peace. Amen, amen. and amen.